morning, church. How are you this morning? Are you doing well? It is such a privilege and an honour to be here today. And uh, it was only a year ago that I was here for your Emerge Conference. And thank you for having me back. Uh, I, I think we need to give a big round of applause, Warner family, to our Morrowfield family who are joining us online, as well as our Redcliffe family. Can you please give them a big round of applause? So good to have you together. I just love it when the church can come together and be in separate locations at the same time, but still come together in heart. Do you know you have amazing pastors? I'm sure every visiting speaker comes and tells you about how good your pastors are. I know Pastor Mark's in Morrayfield, Pastor Nina over here. Uh, we are so blessed by them, mothers and fathers in the faith. And my wife got to meet your pastor yesterday and last night she was just telling me about how wonderful they are, who are constantly encouraging, constantly inspiring men and women to be champions. And so to Pastor Mark and Pastor Nina, we honour you, we respect you. We're so grateful for what you do in the Kingdom of God. Thank you for believing in us. Thank you for championing us. Us, and uh, we hope we do you proud. Can you please give it up to your awesome pastors at all the campuses? Come on, let's give it up to them. So good, so good. Well, it is a privilege to share around God's Word. I bring you greetings from my one wife and three sons, not my three wives and one son. Uh, I just got to make sure that I get that correct. And I think I've got a photo of them right now. And uh, this is my beautiful family. My wife, Sharon, is a Kiwi, Maori, uh, half Maori, half Kiwi, uh, grieving over the loss last night. Uh, but we won't talk about that. Uh, just in case. Is there any South Africans here? Any South Africans in Morrowfield, Redcliffe? There they are. Well, congratulations to you guys. My wife is in uh, a grieving season right now. And then we have my three handsome sons. Uh, we've got Levi on the right-hand side, and then you've got Noah and Micah, our youngest. And they are at church this morning in Perth, Western Australia, but they always pray for us when we come and minister at different churches. And so they wanted us to send you their greetings. Are you ready for the Word of God this morning? Yeah. Fantastic. Well, we're gonna get straight into that. You know, this morning, I wanna share with you a quick story. I remember when we first moved to Australia, I was seven and a half years old. I came from Malaysia. I'm Indian descent, born in Malaysia. And we moved here when I was seven and a half years old. And I remember uh, when we first went to church and the pastor there uh, was an Australian pastor. And he said to us, hey, listen, why don't you, uh, why don't we catch up for a coffee? And in Indian culture, the pastor, the man of God is like the, the king of kings. Uh, and whenever the pastor comes over to your house, the whole house needs to be spotless. I don't know if any other cultures are like that. I remember, you know, my mom was like, Saturday morning, seven o'clock, the pastor's coming at four o'clock this afternoon. Get up, we're gonna clean the house. And we cleaned everything, you know, and got it all ready because the man of God, the man of God is coming to the house. And so we cleaned everything. And I remember, you know, at four o'clock came and the pastor visited us. And, um, you know, my mom was so nervous and so, so awkward. And we were all so nervous. And, you know, we ushered him, we ushered him into the Holy of Holies. 
Uh, I don't know, this generation will probably not have a Holy of Holies in their house, but back then we used to have the Holy of Holies in every house called the Formal Lounge. Uh, the formal lounge is the place where no one was allowed to enter except once a year when a very special guest would come. Uh, it had the couch that uh, no one was allowed to sit on. Uh, we had a couch that still had plastic on it because, you know, anyone else had the couch that still had plastic on it. It was in the Holy of Holies that you'd keep all the, the, the glasses that no one was able to drink from, uh, the plates that no one was supposed to eat from, the cutlery that no one was ever to use. We used to have a room in the house, young people, that we would keep for special, super special occasions called the formal lounge. And so I remember when the pastor came, it was the opening of the formal lounge, and we were allowed to go in there and sit on our very own couch. Uh, it was quite amazing. Uh, my mum went to get the coffees, but this pastor, not understanding the Malaysian Indian culture, walked into the formal lounge with his shoes on. Oh, if you're Indian, you're going, oh, dear, am I? No, no, no. Oh, he did not do that. Oh, he did not do that. Well, he did do that. And I remember my mum coming in with a tray of, of coffee and biscuits, you know, uh, Monte Carlos, because that's what you say for the, for the really... VIPs, you know, walked in with the Monte Carlos and the coffee, and in the outside, she was smiling, saying, welcome, 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 you know, but on the inside, she was going, Chee, dirty, dirty boy, look at this fella, walking on my beautiful carpet with his dirty shoes, outside, he would have stepped on dog caca, all, all I know, and now he comes and trips through my house. And I just remember that day, the first impression. How many know that first impressions matter, yeah. right? Uh, because of that first impression, my mom was offended by him. She thought he was so rude. And for the next three months, every, every time he would come and shake a hand, she would smile, but then she would quickly walk away because first impressions really matter. And more than that, how you see somebody for the first time will not only uh, matter, but also impact the way you relate to them, the way you respond to them. Isn't that true? So, you know, uh, this is the moral of that story. First impressions will shape the way you see a person and how you relate to them. And as I was thinking about this story, I wondered about what is your first impression of God? Have you ever thought about that? What is your first impression of God? And is it an accurate picture of who He really is? See, many years later, we got to know this pastor and we realized he was the kindest, nicest person. He had never had Indian Malaysians in his church before, just like Pastor Nina was praying for all tribes and tongues to join this church, uh, you know, all ethnicities. He never had a Malay. He didn't understand the culture. He wasn't deliberately being rude. He was a kind, good man. But it took us time to get to know him, to realize that the first impression we had of him was not accurate. And as I was thinking of that, I asked myself the question, what is my first impression of God? And is my picture of God accurate? Because it will actually impact the way I relate to him. If I have the wrong picture of who God is, then how I worship him 
would be impacted. How I pray would be impacted. You may be in your worship service at Morrowfield and, and, and at Redcliffe. You may be seeing people like I did today at Warner live with their hands raised and worshiping Jesus with all their heart. And then there could be others that might just be sitting there going, what's going on? Do you know what? All of that is affected by the way you see him. And so we got to make sure that the first picture we see of God, the, the way we see him in our heart is actually accurate. In most cases, our first impression of what God is like comes from the people who represent him in our lives. I went to a non-Christian school, but many people have gone to a Christian school, gone to a, a Catholic school or more conservative school. And how they see God is actually impacted by how they the, the priest or the, or, the, or the chaplain or the person that's supposed to represent God behaves and, and, and represents him. The question is, did they represent him well? And is your picture of who God is truly accurate? I remember reading Genesis chapter 28, verse 11 to 15, the story of Jacob, and actually having a moment of revelation, thinking, you know what? I don't think I've got a right picture of God. See, in Genesis chapter 28, verse 11 to 15, Jacob is running away from his family after doing some pretty bad stuff. He lied to his father, who was blind and aged and, and, and dying, and he stole his brother's birthright. And now Jacob is in the lowest place ever. He's in a place of despair. He's in a place of regret and shame, and he's all by himself. And the Lord meets him there. And here's the record of God's first encounter encounter with Jacob, the first impression. He says this, when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. This is Jacob's first real encounter with God. Now he has godly parents and he would have been brought up in the word of God. He would have been brought up with, you know, a concept of who God is. But this is the first time that God says, I want to reveal myself to you, son. And when I read this, I was absolutely blown away because of the kindness and the goodness of God. This guy is a bad boy. Jacob had done so many shameful things. I don't know about you, 
But if you're in that place where you have done so many shameful things, where you have stolen from your dying elderly blind dad, and if you had stolen from your brother, I mean, you call yourself a Christian, hey? You've done all this stuff. Now you're running for your life in shame and despair. The last thing you expect to do when you meet a God that is all-powerful, all-knowing, holy above holy, what's the first thing you expect? What is the very first thing you expect? Can you imagine if it was your earthly parent? If you'd done all this stuff and you were gonna meet your parents? Isn't that true? <sighs> gonna meet mom after I stole from dad and I hurt my brother. Uh-oh, here we go. We're gonna get it today. We're gonna get it, Right? And in this particular case, he's probably absolutely petrified of meeting with God. And God comes and says, this is who I am. I know who you are. I wanna be in relationship with you. I care for your well-being. I have a good plan for your life. And then he goes on to say, I'm gonna promise you my presence. I will be with you and I'll not leave you. I'm gonna promise you my provision. I will give you and your descendants the land that you're sleeping on. And then he promises him his protection. He says, I will watch over you and will bring you back. As I read this, this is the first impression. I wondered what Jacob was thinking. Jacob would have been sitting there going, what? Are you serious? Where's the whack? Where's the whack? Where's the, mm, I am so disappointed in you. Do you know how holy I am? Do you know how bad you are? Where's the condemnation? Where's the punishment? Where's the tell off? Where is the, I hate you for your previous sins? Where is all of this stuff? It's all absent in the first encounter that Jacob had with God. He was expecting a different God. So many of us are expecting a different God. Even in worship, we're expecting. He saw what we did. He knows what we've done. He's gonna tell us this is what we need to do to impress him. This is what we need to do to bless him. This is what we need to do to please him. Oh goodness, he sees my sin. He must really hate me. And God says, hey, you've got a wrong picture of who I am. What picture you have of God is actually religion and it does not represent who I am. Religion focuses on sin. It focuses on being behavior, it focuses on punishment, but faith focuses on Christ and the finished work of the cross. Its main focus is on your coming back to God and being intimate with the Holy Spirit. That's who God is. I believe in this season, I believe in this generation, God wants to represent Himself. When the church hasn't represented Him well, when Christian organizations hasn't represented Him well, He wants to come and meet you personally and He wants to rip off the blindfolds from your eyes. He wants to rip down the veils and you will see Him as He really is. A God that knows you, a God that loves you, that God wants to be in your life, that he wants to be in relationship with you. And it's not you chasing after God, but God has always been chasing after you. 
His love keeps running after you and not the other way around. We've got a wrong picture of God. Religion teaches us a wrong picture of God. But God says, come on, I wanna represent myself. I wanna show you who I really am, Jacob. Does this mean God doesn't see his sin? Of course not. Does this mean he didn't break God's heart when he sinned? Of course not. But God would rather a flawed son than no son at all. God would rather a broken daughter than no daughter at all. Isn't that true, parents in the room? Isn't that true? When we hold our children in our hands, we know they're gonna make mistakes. We know they're gonna let us down. We know they're gonna do some silly things, but we would rather them in our lives than not have them at all. I would rather an imperfect child any day. And I've got three of them. Thank you, Jesus. I would rather those three imperfect sons in my life than to not have them at all. And God would rather you be close to him than you try to be perfect and distant. Isn't that true? You know, many years ago, we did a theatre production at our church and it was... uh, at around Easter time, and we were wanting to preach the gospel, which was fantastic. So the heart was correct. But in this production, what would happen is you'd see different people's lives. And um, if they chose Jesus, then they would die in the play and they would be taken to heaven. But if they rejected Jesus, demons would come out from the floor and drag them to hell. Uh, there was a number of scenes where, you know, uh, and I'll tell you what, <laughs> it, it, it is true that there is hell and there is heaven. I'm not saying that that's not true. I'm not saying that the choices you make in this world will not affect your eternity. All of those things are true. But when people are being dragged away, you know, their mother is being dragged away from a child and the demons are grabbing them and devil, and then we give an opportunity. Who would like to give your heart to Jesus what we're really saying is if you don't God's gonna drag you to hell right I'm going maybe that's not the best way maybe (laughs) that's not the best way to represent Christ because you know what I didn't do when I told my wife or asked my wife to marry me was I didn't say to her, baby, would you marry me or I will stalk you down (laughs) for the rest of your life? Would you marry me? Uh, 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 yes. See, real relationship is not forced. Real relationships don't have threats attached to it. Real love is a choice And you and I have a choice to choose Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And there's always consequences to every choice. But God is not here to force you into a personal relationship with him. That is religion. God is wooing you into relationship with him. That is faith. And that's what he's after. He wants to correct our theology. And so many Christians have the wrong picture of God. And this affects every part of their life because if you're constantly trying to appease him and constantly trying to do things to win his favor and keep yourself out of hell, it's actually more works than faith. 
It's more religion and do-do rather than knowing him and accepting what he has done for you. You know, in Luke chapter 15, verse 20, Jesus reiterated the accurate picture of God through the story of prodigal son. And you all know the story. A father had two sons. Uh, one son went away and lived an a, a evil life. And, and then he comes back to his senses and he comes back to his father's house. And in Luke 15, verse 20, it says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. You see, we might be going, oh, that's nice. It must be an Italian family. <laughs> eh, mwah, mwah, mwah. Eh. But do you know what? Every Jewish person listening to Jesus would have been absolutely blown away. What? Which father would do that? Tell you what, my dad would never do that. In fact, at that time, the father could have killed his son for his rebellion. That was the, actually what the son was due. The son stole from the father, disrespected the father, came out of the father's covering, and the father had a right to punish his son. The father had a right to make his son pay, but instead, even before the son has the ability to articulate, I'm sorry, I did the wrong thing, the father forgave him the moment he saw him. It was the father that ran to the son, not the son that ran to the father. It was the father that began to speak before the son could even say those words that he wanted to say. And Jesus was trying to show an accurate picture of God. And everyone in that room would have been going, what? No dad would do that. Absolutely. No earthly dad can love like that. No earthly dad will do that. Your picture of God is wrong. And it's keeping you from him. Jesus, because I want to show you who he really is. He's a father that loves you even though you don't deserve it. He's a father that wants to cover you even before you can apologize. He's a father that wants to bless you and be in your life and be in relationship with you even while you are working through your flaws and your addictions and your weaknesses. Wow. Jacob is sitting there, seeing God, and his mind is being blown apart as his theology is being corrected. This is what Jacob responds in Genesis 28, verse 20 to 22. It says, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me, and will watch over me on this journey I am taking, and I will give and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. I know that the the, the text says, if God will. But it's not so much a question of a contract. Jacob's not making a contract with God. If you actually look at it in its context, Jacob's saying, God is going to do this and therefore I will. And he says, God, if you're gonna do this and I know you are, then I just want you to know that your kindness 
has led me to repentance. Your goodness has softened my heart. Literally, Jacob, the supplanter, the trickster, the one that steals and and tries to cheat in this moment has been stopped and transformed because he's seen the real God, the God that loves him. And I was thinking about this. Do you know, discipleship begins with an encounter of God's love. Serving begins with an encounter of God's love. Even tithing begins with an encounter of God's love. You don't have to ask people to tithe. You don't even have to ask people to serve. You don't even have to ask people to pray and worship God. When they encounter the love of God and see Him as He really is, it is a natural response. You are so good to me. You are so kind to me. And I will love you and I will worship you. And if you care for people, then I will care for people. If you want me to give, I will give. Why? Because you have softened my heart with your kindness and your love. As the musicians, please come up to help me. Do you know, I never understood this. I would teach from this scripture about Luke and the prodigal son and the parable of the prodigal son. I would teach them how much God loved them. I would teach, I used to be a children's pastor. uh, I used to be a youth pastor. I loved teaching from this scripture, but it was all head knowledge for me. I would tell people that God loved them and I would even believe for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but will have everlasting life. But it was all here and it was all here, but it wasn't in here. Until one day, 19 years ago, I'll tell you what happened. My wife gave birth to my eldest son. And the nurses took this bundle of mushed up baby. You know, when babies come out, they're not very cute. They're like little aliens with extra skin. He was covered in this slime kind of thing, a bit of blood. But when I held him for the first time, he was the most beautiful person in all the world. And I remember feeling so much love for him in a second. I hadn't met him one second before, but the moment he was in my hand, the first time I met him, I remember feeling so much love for him, it almost hurt. And I instantly knew I would die for him. I would give my everything for him. I love this child so much. And you know, in that moment, he didn't even open his eyes. In that moment, he didn't even know who I was. In that moment, he didn't even know my name. He didn't know how to speak correctly. He didn't know what to do to earn my trust, my love. And in that moment, as I'm holding him with tears in my eyes, going, I love this baby. Thank you, Jesus. God said, son, now you get it. Now you get it. Now you see how I love you. You don't have to do anything to earn my love. You don't have to say anything to earn my love. I just love you because you are my son. 
And in that moment, I'm holding my son in absolute love, but I'm also standing there seeing God for who He really is for the first time. My loving Father, You truly love me. Knowing all my sin, knowing all my faults, knowing all my continuous failings, knowing my addictions and my flaws and my weaknesses, I felt like Jacob right there in the desert with all his shame and his regrets, seeing a God that appears to him in his lowest hour and says, Son, I love you. Son, I want a relationship with you. Son, this is who I really am. I want to protect you. I want my presence to go with you. I want you to turn to me and if you do today I will be in relationship with you this is what true love is like this is what our God truly is like I don't know what sort of picture of God you were brought up with I don't know if you're in this room or in Morayfield or in Redcliffe and you were taught that God was angry with you that God is distant that God is always watching you He is watching you just like I watched over my son. There were times that my sons did some crazy things. And at nighttime, when I put them to bed, that's when they'd get a conscience. Only at nighttime. During the day when they were naughty, that was fine. But at nighttime, as I was putting them to bed, giving them a kiss and praying for them, they go, Dad, we did some pretty bad things today. They'd start to cry. Do you think God can forgive me? Can you forgive me? Yes. I forgave you before you asked. Because I love you more than you can even understand. That's what God is like to you. I was sitting with this friend who, whose wife got diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. And, and he's sitting with me and he goes, Pastor Joel, God is so angry with me for all the things I did in my previous life. Don't know why he's taking it out on my wife. And I said, son, you've got a wrong picture of God. You've got a wrong picture of God. He's not angry. He's not cursing you. He's not paying you back for your rebellious years. He's not having a list. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. He's full of faithfulness. His kindness will lead you to repentance. You need to realize you've got a wrong picture. And today you need to lay it down and say, God, I need a revelation. I need a revelation of who you really are. I want that revelation to change the way I worship you. I want that revelation to change my prayer life. I want that revelation to change every area of my life. Because if you have a wrong first impression of God, it will affect every area. But today His presence is here. I can sense His presence here. Yeah, I sense it's going to be in Morrowfield. I can sense that it's, He's moving in Redcliffe right now. It's every campus. Would you just stand where you are right now and just begin to lift your hands to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Maybe you may feel so close to God. Maybe you may feel like Jacob, so far from God. Maybe you may be right in the presence of God. Or maybe you're trying your hardest to run away from Him because you think he, He's upset with you right here, right now. I want you to address that that is the wrong picture of God. As you lift your hands up to Him, I want you to say, Father, please 
give me a fresh revelation right now of your love for me. I want to know that love of that Father that comes running with His hands outstretched. Maybe you've never experienced an earthly dad that loved you like that. That's okay. Today you need to know you've got a heavenly Father that loves you like that. Before you can even apologize, He wants to cover you with kisses. Before you can even say anything, He wants to take off the old garments, put new garments of righteousness. We're gonna sing this beautiful song. And as you do, come on, just lift your hands to the King of Kings. Why don't we sing that chorus? All my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. Sing all my life you've been faithful. All my life you have been faithful All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God is running after it's running after me your goodness is running after it's running after me with my life laid down I'm surrendering now I give you everything cause your goodness is running after it's running after Right now, as every head is bowed and every eye is closed and every hand is raised to the King of Kings, I love this song. It says, your goodness is running after me. And one day when I was singing this song, I sensed the Spirit of God saying, son, my goodness is running after you. But you know, at any moment, you can stop running and turn toward it and let me overwhelm you. Let me fill you.
Right now, would you stop running from God? Right now, would you stop running and hiding from Him like Adam and Eve did in their shame, like Jacob was trying to? And would you stop and would you repent? Would you turn to Him and say, Father, I'm not gonna run anymore, but Lord, I'm gonna open my heart to You and I'm gonna let You come and wash over me. I'm gonna let Your goodness overwhelm me. I'm gonna let Your goodness take off every blindfold right now. I'm gonna let Your goodness drive out all fear right now. Lord, Your perfect love drives out fear. And in Jesus' Name right now, I declare every veil broken. I break off all religion that causes me to try to perform and causes me to try to please. But Lord God, in Jesus' Name, I receive You right now. I receive what You did on that cross for me. I receive Your forgiveness. I receive Your love. I receive Your acceptance right now. I break off every work of the enemy that has kept people bound and kept people religious right now and kept people far from God and I say come wash over me right now right now veils come off in Jesus name chains come off hearts in Jesus name right now in every campus just where you are, the Spirit of God is beginning to move. The anointing is breaking yokes right now in Redcliffe, breaking yokes right now in Morayfield, breaking yokes right now in Warner, right now in the Name of Jesus. I release the power of the Holy Spirit to begin to set the captives free in the Name of Jesus. Be free in the Name of Jesus. Receive the love of God. 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 Receive the forgiveness of God. You are forgiven. The blood has cleansed you. You are forgiven. Shame is broken off your life, off your heart, off your mind, off your family. All the past is washed by the blood right now. Right now. Receive Jesus. Come on. Receive Jesus. I can see the Lord moving amongst you and He's washing people's feet. I can see the Lord cleansing people, taking off their sandals and putting new sandals to say, hey, listen, I acknowledge the past, but I'm declaring a new way to walk, a new way to live, a new journey. Right now, let Him wash you, let Him wash you, let Him wash you, let Him wash you. Thank you, Father as every head is bowed and every eye is closed. I also know there's people here that are far away from God. You don't have to leave this place the same way you came. You can receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior right now, right here. It's an act of faith, but it's also an act of humility. God loves you. He sent His Son Jesus to die on a cross for you, that whoever may believe in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He's got a good plan for you. He's got a good purpose for your life. But it begins with you surrendering to Him. If that's you right now, 
and you'd like to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you lift your hands to the King of Kings right now? I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. I wanna know who I'm praying for at all the campuses. Would you lift up your hands and say, Pastor Joel, please include me in this prayer. I wanna surrender my life to Jesus. Who is in this place here that you once walked with God, but you turned your back to Him or you've never asked Him to be your Lord and Savior? If that's you really right now, lift your hands. I'm not gonna embarrass you or call you down the front. I just need to know who I'm praying for today who needs to surrender their life to Christ. Raise your hand nice and high so I can see you here. I don't want anybody missing out. I want the pastors and the leaders in the church. Would you just begin to pray right now? I sense that there are people here that need to make their peace with God. If that's you, would you just lift your hands and say, Pastor Joel, include me in this prayer right now. I see that hand over there. Is there anybody else today that needs to come back in? to the family of God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hearts being softened by the love of God. His kindness leading us to repentance. I need Jesus in my life. I wanna surrender my life to Jesus. If that's you, you just include yourself in this prayer by lifting your hands to God. Come on, church, let's pray together. Father, I thank you for what Jesus did on that cross. I thank you for your great love for me. Today I open my heart to you and I surrender all of my life, my broken past, my flawed present and including my future. I place it in your hands. Be my Lord, be my Saviour and help me to live for you. I pray now in Jesus' name. Come on, would you give God a clap of praise? Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God.